are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, December 16th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, on the California Report, immigrant advocates protest the Yuba County Jail's ongoing contract to house ICE detainees, and the pandemic biking boom brings calls for safer cycling infrastructure. After regional news and weather, Brave Hearts wraps up its in-depth look at 211 Connecting Point, and we end with an essay from Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California and neighboring states have agreed to take less water from the dwindling Colorado River. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the details. Roughly a quarter of the water used in areas serviced by the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California comes from the Colorado River through the country's largest reservoir, Lake Mead. But that lake has been severely depleted after years of drought and overuse. It hasn't been full since 1983. Water leaders here and in Nevada and Arizona agreed to reduce their take from the river to avoid more dramatic mandatory cuts in the future. The agreement, called the 500-plus plan, was signed on Wednesday at the Colorado River Water Users Association annual meeting in Las Vegas. It requires the states to cut back on enough water to serve up to 1.5 million households annually. Officials are still negotiating exactly how much water each state will contribute. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. In L.A. County, there's still a wide gap in vaccination rates between Black and Latino residents compared to whites, Asians, and Native Americans. That despite aggressive vaccine outreach. The disparity in L.A. is stark, especially when vaccination numbers between different communities of color are closing in several Northern California counties. KCRW's Kaylee Wells reports. In L.A., 56% of black residents and 61% of Latino residents are partially vaccinated. That's a far cry from the more than three-quarters of white, Native American, and Asian American residents who have gotten at least one dose. Meanwhile, in Santa Clara County, that gap is almost closed. In San Francisco, vaccination rates among black residents actually narrowly outpace their white counterparts, and Latinos there lead with a vaccination rate of 90%. Public health officials here are stumped. They say mobile vaccination sites and community group partnerships have helped narrow the gap, but it's unclear why Northern California is narrowing it faster. Now, L.A.'s Department of Public Health is looking into training their youth and community ambassadors to speak with hesitant residents about getting vaccinated. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. Yesterday, protesters gathered in San Francisco to urge the Biden administration to stop detaining immigrants at a county jail north of Sacramento. This is the last public facility in California to keep a detention contract with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. KQD's Farida Javala Romero reports. Immigrant advocates and formerly detained people say now is the right time for ICE to end its contract with the Yuba County Jail in Marysville. Shut it down. Yuba County Jail. Last year in April, ICE held more than 140 people at the jail, but all were released during the pandemic, in part due to a federal judge's orders. Now, how many people are detained at Yuba County Jail right now? Zero. 
Still, ICE pays Yuba County nearly $24,000 daily, even with no one detained. But the facility has been under federal court supervision for more than 40 years for substandard conditions. Ricardo Vasquez was held at Yuba for more than three years with poor medical care and food that made his stomach hurt, he says. He says he doesn't want another human being to go through what he did. A NICE spokeswoman declined to say whether the agency will send new detainees to Yuba. And a Yuba County Sheriff spokeswoman says they're not expecting ICE to hold anyone there this week. She also defended the jail, saying they've worked diligently to meet ICE's detention standards. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero in San Francisco. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com and Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Interest in cycling has boomed since the beginning of the pandemic, with sales of both old-fashioned muscle-powered bicycles and newfangled electrically-powered e-bikes soaring over the past couple of years. Many transportation planners and environmentalists celebrate the bike boom as a way to both reduce congestion and fight climate change. But looking ahead to the new year, California cycling advocates say much more has to be done by the state and cities to improve bike infrastructure and safety. At a recent cycling event here in L.A., the California Report talked about these issues with Dave Snyder, the executive director of the Sacramento-based California Bicycling Coalition. Everybody that we talk to who would ride a bicycle because their trips are, you know, three to five miles tells us, I'm afraid of traffic. I don't want to be on the road with a car speeding by me, one mistake, and I'm dead. And we know that it's safer than most people think, but they have a good point. So what needs to happen is the construction of a network of bikeways where you are protected from traffic with some kind of barrier. Like they have in all the countries in the world that have a lot of bicycling, uh, we need to have that here. That is still the major issue, is just people not feeling safe when they trade four wheels, an automobile for two wheels, a bike. That's the main issue, yep. People have to feel safe. And, And we're not moving nearly fast enough. So it comes down to that. It comes down to the willingness to invest in safer streets. And because of all the infrastructure spending that's coming the way of California and a lot of other places, you think now is the moment to to really have that conversation? Yeah. The excuse of we don't have enough money doesn't fly anymore. There's enough money. What we need is the political will to spend it on protected bikeways quickly. It can take five to ten years to build one lousy bike lane sometimes because of the, the outreach and the design and the the unnecessary environmental review that you have to do, uh, it should not take that long. You you go to uh, cities all over the world and they build entire bikeway networks in three years. And at the rate we're going, it's going to take us a couple of decades. There's no reason not to do it and to do it quickly. 
Well, good writing in the coming year. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Again, that's Dave Snyder of the California Bicycling Coalition. And that is the California Report for Thursday, December 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, in a letter distributed today, Nevada County School Superintendent Scott W. Lay assured students, families, and educators that there have been no credible threats directed toward local schools or educational programs. Lay said that local education agencies were aware of posts on the social media outlet TikTok alleging that school shootings would take place nationwide on Friday. Lay's letter stated, This is yet another example of irresponsible and dangerous social media posts that have surfaced in the past six months. Lay's letter went on to say, The safety and well-being of our students and staff remains our top priority. Although we have no evidence of any potential threat directed to county education programs and schools as a result of this TikTok posting, we are issuing this advisory out of an abundance of caution. Please take this opportunity to speak to your students about the appropriate and mindful use of social media and not sharing information that is untrue or creates undue fear. Superintendent Lay also asked members of the community to report anything they see that is suspicious or threatening. The Union newspaper in Grass Valley reports today that the Grass Valley Kmart, the last remaining such store in California, will close after Sunday. As the store is being emptied of merchandise, plans are apace to build a Target store at its McKnight Crossing location. According to the Union Story Today, Steve Menzinger, president of Mesa Management, which manages McKnight Crossing, Target has obtained a demolition permit with the intent of getting started immediately on the new store. Menzinger said the new Target could open in the fourth quarter of next year. Along with plans for the Target store, Menzinger told the union, as of last week, updated plans had been submitted to the city for a two-phase renovation of the McKnight Way Shopping Center that would add small shops and restaurants. This cheery news comes via ubinet.com. As a holiday gift to the community, Nevada County Connects, the local transit system, will offer free fares on all of its routes from Friday until the end of the year. Due to the cold weather, Nevada County and Sierra Roots will again open the extreme weather shelter to the unhoused tonight through Saturday morning. The shelter at the Nevada City Veterans Hall opens at 4.30 both evenings and will close at 7.30 each morning. Turning to our regional weather, it will be mostly clear and cold through the weekend with freezing overnight temperatures from the valley to the mountains. Rain and snow are expected to move into the area Monday afternoon, continuing through next week. The National Weather Service today reported 24-hour rain totals for Grass Valley of about one and a half inches and about an inch in Nevada City. That's for Wednesday through noon today. 24-hour snow totals for Wednesday and today include 24 inches at Boreal and Soda Springs and 14 inches at Palisades Tahoe. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 34 degrees. Friday will be sunny with a high of 51 and a low of 38. In Truckee tonight, mostly clear with a low of 6 degrees. Friday in Truckee, sunny with a high of 51 and a low of 36. In Sacramento this evening, mostly clear with a low of 35. 
Friday in Sacramento, partly cloudy, with a high of 47 and a low of 34. In the fifth and final installment of Braveheart's deep dive into Nevada County's 211 connecting point, Lindsay Gordon and Ulysses Palencia share personal stories of their difficult but fulfilling work. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. This is the fifth and final episode of my conversation with Connecting Points, Ulysses Palencia and Lindsay Gordon. I always encourage people, um, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So to advocate for yourself, call us back. And programs are changing all the time and new programs are developing. Like Housing is Key that we touched on earlier, the California COVID-19 Rental Relief Program. There was people calling us prior to that program coming out looking for rental assistance. And although there may have been nothing available at that time, we always tell people, call us back because new programs are being developed all the time. So it's important to check back in with us because things change. I'm just circling back around. Would you like to share any more of your personal story when you came here to Connecting Point? Yeah, I'll just share that. I came here and I don't know what I really expected. I got on cash aid. I was a single mom at the time. And I got a letter from the county saying, go to Connecting Point for your introduction to the, the Welfare to Work program. Immediately, I realized like how beneficial this program is. The first thing they wanted to see is, do you have a resume? Okay, let's work on that resume. We had lots of trainings with our training coordinator, um, job preparedness. We did practice interviews. We went to job fairs. And so it was super focused on like helping you get ready to get a job. And one of my huge concerns was childcare. And so that was the first barrier that we overcame was we through the county were able to get me some child care. In the fire in Sonoma County, we lost our social security cards. So one of the staff at Connecting Point took me down to the office to get my social security card, my son's social security card. So it really helped me, helped me to overcome those barriers. Of the people who are part of the employment services program, 83% of them obtain long-term employment within the county, which I think is huge compared to other counties' welfare-to-work programs. Ultimately, I was on that program for six weeks before I got the job here. So very quickly, my life changed, and my life has changed for the better tremendously since I got this job. Mm -hmm. It's been the most fulfilling job I've ever had. I come from a background managing banks. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love it here. I will never leave this organization. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's such a great story. So what kind of support do you need from the community? I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, we have a resource team that does a great job of vetting resources and making sure they have all the most up-to-date information about the resources out there. But if 
service providers can let us know if something changes or they have a new program that becomes available. That communication is just so helpful. We can only provide to, to the callers what we know about. And so um, the more organizations can make sure we know the ins and outs of what they have to offer, the better job we're going to do at referring it. What I would say to anyone that either uses services or at the very least knows of it would be to recommend 211 to any friends or family or anyone really within the community that can use some helpful resources. Simple number 211 or by dialing the toll free number 833-342-5211. And we're here 24 hours a day, and 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So there is never a time when you're not going to get a live agent. Just to keep it personal, one point in in my life that I wish like my family would have known about something like two one one. Just because now knowing what it is that that we do and what can be offered, I really wish that we would have known that. Yeah, and I don't know that I was going to share this, but I feel like I want to now. <laughs> is that I've I've experienced homelessness. Mm-hmm. It was really difficult not knowing how to navigate the system. And so it was in a different community and it wasn't as simple as just calling 211. But if we'd had something like that, I really wonder how different it could have been for me. I think awareness is huge. Just if people know that they can call us to get connected with resources, like that's huge. And knowledge is power. And we're going to help people to the best of our ability to get them what they need. Thank you both so much for your hearts and this incredible work that you do. And so, listeners, 211 is the number. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. Once upon a time, I lived in a beach town with a lagoon beside it a big lagoon that separated our town from the next and took 15 minutes to drive around. The road, California State Route 1, was right along the water and the only way out of town northward. In big storms, when it rained for weeks and the tides were extra high, the lagoon tended to flood Route 1 and make it impassable. In that sort of weather, often there would be landslides at the other end of town, cutting off Route 1 from the south so you had to take a mountain road to reach civilization and get gas or go to work. Once, even that road developed slides, and we were stuck for a week. California, as perhaps you know, can be quite exciting. Up here in the Sierra foothills where I now live, six mornings a week I drive to town to get coffee. I can make coffee at home perfectly easily and far less expensively, but it doesn't taste as good, and I live by myself, work by myself, am constantly by myself. Going to town to stand in a line with other people is important to my mental health. Talking to baristas and friends and strangers makes me feel as though I'm not alone in the world and also requires I get dressed to face the day. I could be one of those people who stay in their nightgown all day long without proper motivation, and I do not want to find this out. 
On the way to town, I take a right off Route 49 onto Coyote Street. A patch of gravel, kind of a long curved triangle, has somehow accumulated at this turnoff. I don't know how, and I have to be extra careful to slow down and not let my wheels hit it. This is because I don't want to join the Lagoon Club. Now, mind you, there are no lagoons nearby, but I watched many people in that coastal town join the Lagoon Club. This wasn't the Elks or the Lions, a charitable effort by local citizens. Membership was awarded only to hapless drivers who left Route 1 and entered the water, usually because they were going too fast and hit a patch of gravel. Sometimes alcohol was involved, and or the dark of night, maybe a deer in the road. The water isn't deep, but it's so muddy you can't drive out again, even if you didn't roll over, and you're up to your door handles in salt seawater. A tow truck has to be called down from Point Reyes, half an hour away. The volunteer fire department comes to save you, trying to hide their grins, and the whole disaster is on everybody's lips by lunchtime. Rarely does anyone get hurt, but the car may not be salvageable. Even the seals, beached on their sandbar, will seem to be laughing. Locals do this as much as tourists, maybe more, since they know the road so well they're often speeding. I wasn't around when the fire chief's teenage daughter, freshly licensed, joined. I hear it was rather tense. Of course he was worried, but also he was the one who coined the term back in the 60s and had enjoyed telling stories about it ever since. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, Money Matters with Mark Cuniberti. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. At 8 p.m., more music as Derek Washington hosts Jazz Workshop. And at 10 p.m., Jive AF with Step D. Luna. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And SPD Markets, serving Nevada County for over 60 years, with locations on Zion Street, Nevada City, and McKnight Way, Grass Valley. Offering conventional, organic, and local products, produce, also specialty food. Information online, spdmarket.com. 
This is Joyce Miller signing off. Have a lovely Thursday evening. Oh,